Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Welcome to the Space 3D Podcast. Recently, we were honored to speak to Travis Thompson. This is part two of that interview. Travis Thompson was the former closeout lead for the space shuttle at Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Travis and his team assisted astronauts into the launch vehicle and were the last humans to physically be in contact with the crew prior to launch. Travis has plenty of stories to tell, and we are excited to bring them to you. In part two of our interview, Travis begins to share some memories from the shuttle program, including his favorite astronauts, how Lake Ochoa got its name, and the Columbia tragedy. Please kindly note that we recorded our interview with Travis via phone, so the audio quality is not pristine. However, we have done our best to clean it up, so we appreciate your indulgence when listening. things that stand out to you on any certain mission that you just particularly remember and that could be something with the with the vehicle itself something with the particular crew or an individual astronaut that you'd like to share with us okay my very first as a number five was sts i never wrote a log or journal or said, you know, I remember STS, blah, 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 this happened. But I can tell you, you know, just I remember the crew by face. I don't know. But, yeah, I got stories. Every once you have to go to crew quarters and we do a debrief. And we talk about everything that went right and everything that went wrong. That's another reason I don't remember each STS because I remember what went wrong mm. and what we had to fix and what we had to put this extra seat in for this guy. But then you pin me down and I could say, yeah, I was there and I remember even October 23rd, we launched one time and uh, you'll have to look it up, certain flight crew before they got in saying happy birthday to me. She's a very important person today. <laughs> cool life, and I was there with all of them, and I grew up in it. Charlie Bolden and I are still good friends because Charlie was one of the first astronauts I worked. Mm. He and I learned everything together on the closeout crew because uh, I was brand new, so was he. And, you know, we stayed in touch over the years many times, and uh, the only difference is he went on to be the boss. Yeah, you know, but he knocked you out of the way right now to give me a hug. <laughs> Man. He, knocked, he did knock my boss there on STS-5. He knocked my boss right off the steps in the fire and come over and almost picked me up. <laughs> I'm sure you have some favorite astronauts from your time working, and there's so many that flew, of course, but... Are there any, any that really stand out to you that you always think about very fondly, or maybe not so fondly? Joe Tanner, I loved him. Uh, 
a lot of the young guys, but Joe was kind of like, while I was coming through the ranks, Joe was one of the asks that was kind of assigned to the KSC as a C-square year or two. It was in between some flights or something, but he spent a little more time. And we got to just hang out and be good friends, you know. But I actually, on his birthday, I stole him and took him to Cocoa Beach. <laughs> but I'll tell you the kind of buddy Joe was. Can I tell you a quick story, NBL, Neutral Blancy Lab? Absolutely. Okay. So we're in Houston training. As I said, we had to go to Houston to train because you had to train in mock-up. We're not allowed to train on the real ship. You might hurt it. They're not worried about us getting hurt. But you might hurt the ship. So not easier to replace. Oh, yeah. And the mock-ups are very close as far as what I needed my people to be able to do. The seating, the hookups. You know, the amount of room, just everything's perfect. Right? They can either be horizontal or vertical. Correct. Correct. So, yeah, and you got it right there. You can practice launching one. You can go over and practice landing in the other. So it works out cool. So we'd have to go out there once a year and all. And uh, this last day, we're going to travel the next morning. And uh, we just had lunch, and I get a call from Joe. He says, hey, you guys want to come see the NBL, the Neutral Buoyancy Lab? I'll meet you there at 2 o'clock. I said, sure, we'd love it. We hadn't been over there, you know. And I have all the JSC people on my team, you know, have all been there, seen it, done there. But all I had with me was my KSC guys, you know, my NASA qualities and my, my hatch packs and all. I don't know, eight or nine, I guess. So Joe says two o'clock. I'm like, yes, sir. So we show up in BL. We're gathering there. We're all in rental cars, you know. So we're gathering at the front door. I get everybody assembled, tiny, you know. And and my phone rings, and it's Joe. And he says, hey. It's a T. Says I'm gonna be about twenty minutes late. Something happened. He said I'll be about twenty minutes late. Walk in, tell them who you guys are, and they'll probably start a tour. And then he said I'll get, I'll show up when I get there. I'm like yes sir, yes sir. So we go in, and we all have our Florida badges, and we're we're wearing little close up two shirts that I had made. You know. Insignia on over the pocket, and we walk in. and I said, Hey, she said, Can I help you? I said, Yeah, we're the uh, KSC astronaut closeout crew. We're here. Joe Tanner's supposed to meet us here and have a tour. And she goes, Okay, he's not here. And I said, I know he's going to be late. She goes, Well, I'll see if I can get one of the divers, somebody to do well. I said, Yes, ma'am. So this diver comes over, and he, I can tell that this is the last place on Earth, the last thing that this gentleman wants to do. 
And so we walk out into the, all you smell is the chlorine, you know, here's this pool, and, and uh, we walk over to the edge of the pool, and then you're not allowed to touch it, you're not allowed to stick your little toe in it, you know, and you just briefness on all the dumps. And we're walking around, and he's just not enthused. And he's just, this is that, and this is how they do that. Now we're on the other side of the pool, almost to the last turn. And I look through the swinging doors, and I see Joe in his blue suit. And he's he's coming around the corner of the pool. You know, he's high-footing and coming to us. Well, the guy giving us our little tour sees Joe. And he spins around to us and he says, hey, here comes a real astronaut. If you guys just be calm, maybe I can get him to stop and say a few words. I said, oh, really? That would be great. Please, thank you. And so he turns around. Joe walks, slaps me on the butt, says, hey, fat ass, how you doing? That guy turned around and says, who did you guys say you were? I said, that's all right. We got it. I'm going to thanks a lot. And he walked off like he had his tail between his foot. That is an awesome story. <laughs> I can't look. I'm not smart enough to make this stuff up. Oh, man, that's hilarious, though. I said, yeah, we're the Kennedy Space Center clothes record. Okay, you know, it didn't mean squat. With, and I don't care. I got that a lot. Uh, it was just so hilarious to watch that. Who did he say you were? <laughs> we're, we're good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. I've had some touching times with Joe also. Wow. We got, we got Columbia on the hangar floor there by the runway. I says, hey, I'm over here doing each other hug. I can't go back in there right now. He says, uh, let's take a walk. I said, all right. So we walked over to the 747 stairs and there, doors open, ain't a soul around. <laughs> we walked up in there and I figured, well, I'm with an astronaut. What are they going to do? You know, I know they're going to shoot me first. <laughs> so, go in and we sat, I sat in the pilot seat and he sat in the commander's seat. We just sat there, looked through the windscreen at hanging us and had us a little heart to heart that I'm not going to discuss, but yeah, he was one of my favorites. I remember when I kidnapped him for his birthday and got him into the elevator, I leaned over and I said, you're not afraid of hookers, are you? <laughs> when we got to Cocoa Beach about an hour later, I'd already forgotten. He, he goes, hey, where's the hookers? I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> so, yeah, I got a couple of stories. But uh, all of them are saying, Marsha and I got along really well because all I ever said was yes, man. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what. I was standing in Houston one day, and uh, she was the head of the astronaut office, and uh, flew on the Soyuz. As she walks by, I feel I'm looking at my clipboard, and I feel a little 
tweak on my left wrangler pocket. And she smiles those beautiful teeth at me as she walks by. And Peggy kept walking, and I was ready to buy her a house right then. <laughs> so, yeah, there were some that were my favorites. And, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. All of the young guys, especially the, what do I want to say for Army or Navy, you know, those type guys just, when we go take the M113 tanks for a drive, they all turned into, you know, eight-year-olds. Could be in them for the launch, right? There was three parked next to the bunker at the end of the slide wire baskets. A slide wire baskets come from the 195 for the well. There's seven fire rescue sitting approximately a mile down the road in an M113. Now, what they're supposed to be is the back closed and all of them in there in their bunker gear. But somebody one time leaked a picture of them all outside with the bird just coming off of the pad, fires, smoke everywhere, and they're all out there with their hats off. And somebody took a picture and they all got busted. <laughs> But, yeah, the M113 was very cool. We all had to learn how to drive it because if you got out of the sidebar basket and run to an M113, the rule is the first person in is now the driver because there's no room to back up and, hey, let's talk about it. You, you're getting in it to go. And they're just a lot of fun to drive. <laughs> you know, had you ever heard the story of Ellen Ochoa driving? An M113 is an armored vehicle that they used in Vietnam, Korea, uh, armored personnel vehicle, and painted green or bright yellow, and everybody has to learn how to drive it, even the astronauts. So, she's on my mission, Ellen Ochoa is on this mission, I'm OVCC, so I follow my flight crew, when they're doing any type of training, I'm right there listening. So Ellen's turn to drive. I'm standing there watching. Fire chief, God bless his soul, George Hodder, uh, sitting up on top of the M113. The rest of the flight crew is in the back. Ellen's driving it and having a great time up and back. Well, she stops it. She turns, looks up at the fire chief and she says hey is this amphibious can i go in the water and george <laughs> said sure yeah so she plows off into the lake well george didn't know it but the week before he was getting it ready to train and he sent m113 to the motor pool to get it serviced to make sure everything was all right and the mechanics forgot to put the plug in the box Saw that coming as soon as you said she drove into the lakes. <laughs> so they're driving, everything's fine. Flight crew's sitting in the back. Commander uh, reaches up, pats her, and says, Hey, we got water up to her ankles. Is this right? So, long story short, no. It's sank. Fire rescue. This is when NASA PA standing there told all the Photographers to put the cameras down, made them put on the ground. It sank. We got fire rescue in there. Oh my gosh! So and and okay, it wasn't Ellen's fault. 
So the next day, the guy came. It's, they're getting suited up. It's launch day, except we don't launch. So my two guys are standing at the elevator waiting on the flight crew to get out. They had just come up in the Astro van. We're waiting. You know, I'm in the white room waiting. Elevator doors open up. I've been told my two guys had dive masks and snorkels on. <laughs> Everybody laughed and thought it was funny, except hell. Now, to this day, there's a sign next to that lake that says Lake Ocho. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I can't make it up. <laughs> And, and it's the sign, I'm sure, is still there. I don't know why they move. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. It's in one of those little ponds of the pad that you see in an aerial photo, you know, and there's just little bitty dirt roads to it. And there's a government sign that says Lake Ochoa. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. Did you have a favorite shuttle, a favorite orbiter? I had to be Columbia. There was parts I made right out of my toolbox that flew on Columbia. Mm. And that's what I learned. And that's what I did everything. Yeah, Columbia was my favorite. Obviously, when Columbia was lost, it was horrible. But that must have been particularly difficult for you. Yeah. Columbia, I was standing on the runway to open the hatch. Uh, and they did not come home. And to me, not hearing the sonic booms, I told one reporter, I said, that was the most deafening silence I've ever heard. Mm. Uh, NASA pulled us together, and I don't know what they said, but the only words that I truly remember were, men, go home and kiss your wives, pack your bags, and be back here on the runway in four hours. So I did what I was told. Yeah, I was grieving. I was mad. Those were friends of mine. I knew personally. I had played racquetball with Doc Brown three weeks prior. Oh. You know, it's three o'clock in the morning. Me and him are playing racquetball. He's not, he's, you're not supposed to do stuff like that a week before you go into quarantine. You know, but I snuck him out at three in the morning. He was bored. So. It's just, so yeah, these were my friends, and I had, I looked at it in those four hours that I've got stuff to do. I have to go get them. Mm-hmm. I got it. I need to go. So did what they told me to do. I was back at the runway. I counted for all my people. So it was, I don't know, 120 of us or so. They had a stretch TC-8 from Patrick Air Force Base. And uh, we got on the DC-8, and we flew to Barksdale Air Force Base, Louisiana. Now, you got to also remember, this is 1983. This is... Uh, 2003. Yeah, you're right. So, uh, they're loading ordnance on aircraft. There's lines of guys in fatigues getting on transport planes. This is an active you know, Air Force Base. 
we land, we taxi up, they push the stairs up there, and I'm coming down the steps with one of my nasty boys that I recognize. He's got the biggest Ziploc bag you've ever seen in your hand. One is left, one is right. One's full of cell phones, and the other's full of car keys. I get down to the bottom of the steps. He says, Trap, here's your phone. You're going to need it. It's got every number pre-programmed in it. Here's your car keys. So I drove from Barksdale Air Force Base to a place called Palestine, Texas, almost to Lubbock. And so the debris field for Columbia was 250 miles long, 10 miles wide. I was sent on purpose to the farthest west because that's where the lighter type of debris came down. Mm-hmm. I flew 57 days looking pieces, parts, and my friends, and it's the hardest job I've ever done. Columbia was, like I said, my favorite bird, and uh, putting her to rest was something I needed to be there to do. I remember the first tile I found, uh, my third piece of my spaceship, Uh but I just walked up to it, and I, I didn't... You know, I just, I'm looking at it, you know, I guess I should have been picking it up. Yeah, 57 days there, and, uh, yeah, when it, when it rained, we'd, we'd stay in the hangar and clean the helicopters or whatever. The whole town knew what we were doing. We were in the little bitty town, Palestine. The motel we were staying at, the kitchen or the dining room would close, but, there were so many of us there that the staff clocked out and stayed over. And then when we would come in from working all day, they'd cook us, they'd give us two different things that we could have off the menu. And uh, we paid them tips yeah. every night. That's what we did. You know, I ate so many uh, hot sandwiches, hot roast beef sandwiches fell in love with them, you know. <laughs> but it was a hard job and it was something that needed to be done. I think everybody handled very reverent and it was something I'll never forget. I remember the first day, it was 30 degrees. We're flying with the doors off. I got everything I brought from Florida with me on. And a flight suit, you know, and my flight jacket and gloves, and it's freezing. When we pull up, this old cowboy's over there waving, and I said, all right, we better land. So we land, and I walked over there, and it's the first person I talked to my first day doing it. So I didn't think much. I thought maybe he should see my face. So I took off my flight helmet. And immediately what had happened is I lost all my body heat out of the top of my head. And I just just started to shake. I'm talking to him, trying to find out what he's got. And he had some tile pieces and an old coffee can, you know. And I'm shaking. I can't write down the GPS coordinates. I had to give it to the firefighter. And the old boy said, Feller, 
you need to come in here and let me make you some coffee. I said, no, 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 sir, but you can drive me back in the truck. <laughs> yeah, that was my first experience, and I never took my helmet off for this <laughs> time. Oh, my. Oh. That was, you know, that was something you got to think about. This is not something I was trained to do. You know, none of us were, but we all did what needed to be done. We're, I'm not saying it was just me. There was a lot of people called to duty, and, and I'm very proud of each and every one of them. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Space 3D. We'll continue our discussion with Travis Thompson on our next podcast. On behalf of my co-hosts, Emily Carney and Tom Hill, this is Eleanor Rangers for Space 3D.